Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can beat my guest. Mm, but before you can beat my guest, you need to meet my guest, so let's give a warm welcome to today's guest. She's back one more time, folks. It's Jessica Lee's Jess. How are you? Well, you keep asking me back, and so it's it's an honor every time. Well, you know, you were in episode number one, uh, where I certainly did you dirty. You know, I was still getting my feet wet in the, this hosting thing, uh, but uh, thankfully and, and graciously, you uh, agreed to come on for the season two finale, so I thought it only fitting to kind of make this a traditional uh, thing, and uh, here you are once again, season three finale. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well... I'm not sure how I'm going to do tonight because I've been running around all day with a toddler uh, who was stricken with pink eye and that's, that's been my day. So if all of your questions are about toddler shows that can be streamed on Amazon prime, then I'm going to do great. Um, sure, sure. Um, let's see what I can do here. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, uh, you know, the, the categories are, are, are vast and myriad and, and legion. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, do you want to give everyone anyway, other than the, uh, the mother to a toddler, you want to give anyone a little brief, brief, brief bio of, of who you are in case they haven't heard any of your previous episodes. And really, um, why haven't you folks? They're good. <laughs> yeah, go back in the archive, go into the vault, get all the old episodes. But if you don't have time for that, if you are just picking things up right here, I am a podcaster on the Robbins Podcast Network, uh, where I cover numerous shows such as The Walking Dead and The Amazing Race and Star Trek Discovery and really just those three right now. But I have a long and storied history as a podcaster and trivia enthusiast, and I'm very happy to be once again trying to beat your guests. Or wait, I am the guest that is being beaten. <laughs> well, we'll see if you become today's uh, pinata. Am I the beater or the beaten today? <laughs> yes, let us find out. Before we do that, though, let me explain the rules. In case there are people out there who are still uh, listening for the first time and decided to stick with this sucker, um, this is going to be a giddy one, folks, I could tell. Uh, there's going to be four rounds of four questions apiece. In each round, I will let you know in order the categories we'll be using for that round. Before I beat each question. Jess will get to lock in how many points she wishes each question to be worth. Get it right. She gets the points. It is just that simple. And there's also going to be a halftime bonus worth 10 points at the end of the game. Uh, Jess will get to field what we call the confidence question, which is her last chance to try and improve her final score. I will explain all of that nonsense when we get there. We cannot get there until we hit the ground running. Jess, are you ready once more to enter the fray? Let's do it. All right. In round one, as always, as usual, I don't have to tell you. Point values available to you are one, three, five, and seven. Here are the categories we're going to be using for round one. Uh, we're going to kick things off with science, move along to wiggle room, followed up with what comes next, and we're going to finish up round one with pop goes the blank. First things first, science, one, three, five, or seven. Um, well, Science has historically not been my greatest category, so let's start that off with three. All right, three points for science. Good luck. And here is our first question. Kieselger, an ingredient used in toothpaste and metal polishes, was also used as the key ingredient in what 1867 invention? Kieselger, an 1867 invention. So I, I assume this is some sort of this is some sort of ingredient that polishes things. 
given its inclusion in both toothpaste and metal. So I'm assuming that this is some sort of metallurgic invention. And I'm trying to think of things that got invented around 1867. So I'm trying to talk this through and thinking about... So I'm, I'm not sure if I can pull this. This is, this is a little wacky. And of course, you know, you have that book of inventions when you're in elementary school and they have the dates next to them. And you know that they, you know, approximately when all of the important ones that they deem... Worthy they, of inclusion, yeah. <laughs> yes, worthy of inclusion. And I'm trying to think of which ones would have been around that era because I'm thinking of all of the important ones. Like telephone was later... Light bulb was slightly later. Steamboat was earlier. Cotton gin was earlier. That's my list of inventions. <laughs> so I probably have to give you something at some point, or I could just talk all day. But given that I know it is a thing that polishes things, perhaps I can reason it out that it is a device used to polish something. And what did people need in 1867? There, maybe it's maybe it's a shiny thing. Okay, I'm gonna guess this is some kind of metallurgic thing, and it may have to do with. I think it has to do with transportation, perhaps. Like it could be, it could be perhaps. I don't know. Let's let's just say the internal combustion engine, and I will be wrong. Okay, the internal combustion engine. Well, you said it's something to do with uh, transportation. I would say. You know, uh, transportation adjacent, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, in order for a lot of these uh, trains and uh, whatnot to uh, get from point A to point B, uh, they needed to go through those mountains. You cannot go through those um, mountains. Make a big hole in those mountains. Yep. Uh, yeah, this was uh, Alfred Nobel. And yep. uh, accidentally um, got his peanut butter in your chocolate. Uh, or rather got his Kieselgur into somebody else's nitroglycerin and discovered yep. dynamite. Yeah, that makes sense. Kieselgur is, is, a, is a polisher, but is also uh, in the process of polishing, dries things out, which uh, helps stabilize the nitroglycerin, and now we can make things go boom. Sure. <laughs> boom goes the dynamite. Uh, not successful on that one, but plenty of time left, plenty of questions left. We're just getting started here. We're just getting warmed up, although I hope your dynamite isn't sweaty. You know what can happen. When ah, your dynamite just, gets sweaty. <laughs> just ask Arst. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Wiggle Room is up next. Our numbers category. You have a one, you have a five, and you have a seven. Uh, I am historically terrible at the numbers category, so let's give this one a one, because I'm pretty sure you're not about to ask me about Survivor Song parodies. <laughs> no, I, I don't believe I am. Uh, Wanda! No, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it. Uh, <laughs> all right, so here is your wiggle room question for one point. Between 1901 and 2018, how many different individuals have been awarded a Nobel Prize? You'll get the standard 10% wiggle room in either direction. Okay, so we're talking 117 years, and we're talking... I, I guess this is going to hinge on how many, how reliably I can name the categories of the Nobel Prize times. But then you have two people that are awarded it jointly. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Hence the conundrum that faces you. <laughs> Hence the conundrum that faces me. Well, I believe we have chemistry, physics, economics, the Peace Prize, literature, I think there might be a mathematics. I'm not sure. 
I might be up on my individual Nobel Prize winners, but there's a medicine. I'm going to guess, I'm going to ballpark it. There are eight categories for prizes, and I'm going to say 117 years. Keeping in mind that many, especially more recent prizes, have been awarded jointly or to even three people, I'm going to say 1,200. All right. 1,200 is your answer. Yeah. You know, the categories have changed over the years and been Mm -hmm. added to and taken away. So including, uh, like you said, joint winners, uh, for example, the uh, most recent Peace Prize going to, uh, of course, as you well know, Dennis Mukwege of the Democratic Republic of Congo and Nadia Morad of of Iraq. You know, obviously. Over the years, there have been 590 prizes given out in total. 24 of those went to organizations, so they do not count. There have been about, give or take, 30 people to have won twice. So even though they have mm-hmm. multiple prizes, they're only one individual. Uh, so the final total is only 904. Ah. So you overshot it a little bit. The wiggle room would have given you between 814 and 994. Uh, You were just far more generous than uh, Alfred and his friends over there in Sweden. I would have given out way more prizes than that. You get a prize, you get a prize. Everybody gets a prize. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're the the Oprah of peace prizes. (laughs) Don't check under your chair, Jess. I don't don't think you want to know what I left under there for you. It isn't points, is it? <laughs> it is not yet. Not yet, but still plenty of time. We have two questions left in the first round, five and seven. What comes next? Well, what comes next comes next. So what comes next for you, five or seven? Uh, we'll go with five. All right, five points for what comes next, simply put. Oh, what comes next? Ludmila Torshva, Nadia Komanichi, mm-hmm. Yelena Davidova. What comes next? I know, I recognize the name Nadia Komunichi. So that is certainly gives me a clue as to what you're looking for here. I'm going to guess these are probably gymnasts of some stripe. And Nadia Komunichi was in the early 80s, I believe, was her, was her heyday. And so I would have to think back into my knowledge of 1980s gymnasts. And you may be looking for like 1980s Romanian gymnasts with super sweet hairdos, or you might be <laughs> looking for Romanian nationals who did very, very well at something. But I think you might just be looking for iconic gymnasts of the 80s who won a particular award. And I really only know one iconic gymnast of the 80s that wasn't one of the names that you mentioned that I totally had heard of all of them. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and give you Mary Lou Retton because that would be that would be the most common wrong answer in Learned League. Fair enough. Mary Lou Retton is your answer, and and such confidence. I love it. <laughs> yes, Nadia Comaneci. I know is probably the most uh, recognizable of the of the names I gave you there. Uh, she did uh, work her way, uh, continue to compete into the 80s because when she first came on the scene in 1976, she was but a wee lass of 14, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which pretty much made her uh, a senior citizen at the Olympics <laughs> at that time. Uh, no, no, she was a fresh face on the scene. She got perfect tens all across the board in 1976, winning the gold medal. Uh, Ludmila Torishva won the gold medal in 72. 
Nadia in 76, Yelena Davidova in 1980 in the Olympics that the uh, United States boycotted that was held in Moscow, so we were not there. Mm -hmm. I am looking for the female Olympic all-around gold medal winner from uh, 1984. Eat your Wheaties, get your points. Five for you. It is indeed uh, the very, very uh, perky Mary Lou Retton. Boom goes the Kieselger. <laughs> Excellent job. Mary Lou was the first uh, United States uh, female to win an Olympic all-around gold medal. At the time, that was a big deal, and now it's like old hat. The last four Olympics have been won by American women. So, uh, you know, take that, Soviet bloc. Yeah, I got to blame the fall of communism for that one. Indeed. Uh, or, or at least, you know, the fall off the pommel horse, because that would be a deduction or something. It's true. Unless you like really stick that landing. <laughs> ah, do could do it, Gary. Anyway, pop goes the blank is next. It is going to be worth seven points to you. Are you ready for your final round one question? I, yeah, I'm giving it seven points because I'm hoping that it's a shout out to third base. Uh, well, we'll see if you uh, get it right or if I have to give you the gas face. <laughs> 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 I think I know my musical outro for this episode, though. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, the night is still young, AJ. <laughs> Very true, as was uh, Nadia Kovanich. <laughs> Watch out, Roman Pulaski's in attendance. <laughs> run, run. Oh, I told oh, you this was going to get kidding. All right. <clears throat> Here is your seven point pop goes to my question. Complete the following quote from a 1988 Bill Murray film starring okay. Buddy Hackett, J.B. Farr. The Solid Gold Dancers, and Mary Lou Retton as blank. Oh, geez. 1988 Bill Murray movie. This sounds very familiar. This is something I have definitely seen. This is Scrooged, and these are the cast of that weird Christmas special that he is producing. But I do not know. I do not know what the end of the quote is. I think it is, it is something Christmassy, and it's something absurd and Christmassy. And I just don't remember exactly what it was that he was putting on. If it was his own production of A Christmas Carol and then he gets visited by Carol Kane being super creepy or, <laughs> or what his deal was. So I'm trying to think of an improbable thing that Mary Lou Retton could play in a Christmas special. And that's, that's how I'm going to arrive at this answer. I'm going to take a total shot in the dark and say that this was a production of The Christmas Carol that he was producing. I've not seen this movie in seriously 20 years. And I know, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I don't, we're in It's a Wonderful Life household. And I'm just going to say that she played Ebenezer Scrooge, because that would be absurd. Okay. Ebenezer Scrooge is your answer. Well, let's let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Uh, the Bill Murray uh, film in question from 1988 is indeed Scrooge. So well done there. Uh, you certainly knew the film where I know how your mind works. Well, there's that too. Uh, <laughs> so he is a TV executive. He is somebody who is putting on uh, a big network live production uh, starring Buddy Hackett, Jamie Farr, and the Solid Gold Dancers, and Mary Lou Retton, complete with crutches. It's as Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. Yes, Damn it. She throws the crutches away and then does one of those tumbling uh, runs sure, that she's known sure. for. I could have gotten there. I, I, 
I ended it too soon. I could have gotten there. You know, the clock has not yet struck midnight. And uh, when you are visited by the ghosts and uh, haunted by the uh, ghost of trivia past, perhaps you'll have a better result in the future. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the ghost of trivia past is Meredith Vieira in my case. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we won't go there. <laughs> I like you too much to revisit. <laughs> well, you were not shut out. That's the good news here. Yeah. You did get five, five points in that round. So we are sitting on five points as we head into round two. Let us, uh, let's go right into this sucker here. Point values available to you will increase to two, four, six, and eight. And here are the categories we're going to be using in round two. We're going to kick things off with analogies. Follow that up with history. Move along to Around the World, and we are going to wrap up the first half and round two with our mashup category. But first things first, Jess, analogies, two, four, six, or eight? Uh, let's go with four. Four points for analogies. All right, good luck. And here is your question. Leprechauns are to Ireland as Woodergies are to what? Woodergies. Can you Woodergies spell that? Spelled... W-O-O-D-A-R-J-E-E-S. Woodergies. Woodergies. Oh, dear. I, I'm, I've never heard of a Woodergy. I'm just trying to draw context clues from the spelling in hopes that I can find some kind of linguistic through line if it looks like it's from a particular language. Fair enough. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have a bunch of like D's and C's and W's, so it's probably not whales. And it doesn't have doesn't have a J in a weird place where you would expect it to be a Y sound. So it's probably not the Netherlands. And I would guess if it were if it were Icelandic, you'd have some umlauts and some thorns <laughs> in there. Woodergies. Yeah, that doesn't look like anything from any language that I have seen at any point. Although it feels like it may be vaguely northern. And I, I'm, I'm assuming this is a, just because we know what leprechauns are, this is some kind of tiny sprite that causes mischief in this land that I am to name. Woodergy, Woodergy, Woodergy. And I'm going to say that a Woodergy is a creature of, I don't think I've got it, so I'm just going to say Belgium. Belgium, a fine country. You are correct in terms of figuring out what this analogy is uh, hinting at here. We now, why would I be on this show if I couldn't figure that much out? Well, you'd be surprised. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're all great guests. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we went from Tiny Tim. So I was thinking about tiny uh, things. Yes. Uh, and so actually earlier earlier today when I was uh, refining the question set for tonight, I, uh, I, I saw an old episode of Charmed with leprechauns uh, as the mm -hmm. main villains. So, hey, leprechauns, that's a good a little thing. Uh, so, leprechauns, little mischievous sprites, as you said. I have it written right here, little sprites. So, right spot on. Uh, leprechauns to Ireland, as Woodergies are to what? Uh, Woodergies uh, are actually the reason you don't recognize the language because it comes from the aboriginal language yeah. of the indigenous people to Australia uh, and they live in uh, forested uh, tree-lined areas and uh, they are called violent little people or wood sprites. Okay. Uh, very few people who encounter a Woodergy lives to tell the tale. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if more people had lived to tell the tale, I might have actually heard of them. 
Exactly, exactly. Although, you know, actually, Woodagee kind of sounds just like something that people uh, down here in South Jersey would say, because like, they say water ice for water ice, or which or Italian ice, because that's what it is. They go, water ice. I want some water. So I want some water G. I don't know. Let's go to the Wawa. Have a hoogie. Uh, <laughs> all right. Are, are you also Scottish now? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty much a mutt. <laughs> there is no accent, Jess, that I cannot butcher. <laughs> Just oh. see. All right. All right. History is up next. Uh, let's see. We have a two. We have a six. We have an eight. What say ye for history? Oh, let's go six. Six points for history. All right. Good luck. Here's your question. The Battle of the Wilderness was the first in a series of Civil War skirmishes between Ulysses S. Grant and his Union soldiers going up against what Confederate military unit? Confederate military unit? Do I look Correct. like Shelby Foote up in here? <laughs> up in here? Up in here? Y'all gonna make me secede now. All right, so... I'm going to have to try to figure it out from the previous question through line because I don't know if Battle of the Wilderness is really enough. The army of the somebody. We talked about Woodergies. We talked about mischievous wood sprites. And we talked about Australia. Then we moved on to the Battle of the Wilderness and we we're talking about Grant versus Grant and his army of the Grant people versus <laughs> yeah. the army of the and Confederacy is probably a little too broad. That would have that would I would not have used what Confederate military unit in the question had <laughs> that didn't that simple. <laughs> it's not a trick question. Uh, no, it is a tricky question, but not a trick question. Yeah, it is a tricky question. And of course, now I I keep saying the Army of the something, the Army of the something, and I keep now wanting to say the Army of the Potomac, which isn't right. It's a totally different thing. And then watch that be the answer and. <laughs> that's hilarious super hilarious but i'm gonna guess that this is probably something to do with forests and woods and i'm just gonna say the army of the woods because i think that's about where we're at right now okay the army of the woods uh perhaps if they were all armed with golf clubs it would be the army of the tiger woods i don't um, i don't know that those guys would be I, I, I'm not sure they'd be on that side, but <laughs> yeah, well, uh, golf being such a Yankee sport. You no, know, very true, very true. Ulysses S. Grant was the, the man of the Civil War, and, and you know he was in charge of many, many uh, skirmishes and battles. This was uh, part of uh, the Overland Campaign, which he led, mm -hmm. uh, and it was a series of battles against Robert E. Lee, and Robert E. Lee uh, led his army of Northern Virginians, the Army of the Northern Virginians, or the Army of Northern Virginia is the answer we're looking for. So close okay. to the Potomac. Sure. I mean, you know, you knew it had to be East Coast. I mean, that was... <laughs> well, yeah, we're not, we're not fighting people in California at this point. This is true. This is true. Yeah, the link for the previous question was just from, you know, woods and violent creatures to wilderness and violent... Mm, that is a tenuous battle. link at best. I'm side-eyeing that one. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll see the more, uh, shall we say, obvious through line to the next question here. No, I don't uh, care. There's going to be like, there's going to be one dude that posts in the Facebook group. I totally beat your guest. And we're all going to be like, cool story, bro. 
but I, I kind of don't care. Points don't matter. <laughs> exactly, but uh, I'm I'm a far better improviser than Drew Carey, and I don't at me. Uh, <laughs> we, we are going to move along to around the world. We have the high of the low values left, two and eight. How much for around the world? Around the world, let's just go with eight. Eight points. I expect no less from my uh, amazing race uh, fan and world traveler. Okay, we are going from uh, the Overland campaign I mentioned in the previous question mm-hmm. to Overland Airways, which is based out of Murtala Muhammad International Airport in what country? Oh, boy. Murtala Muhammad International Airport. It's a storied location. <laughs> Overland Airways. It's a regular O'Hare. <laughs> We're looking for a country. And uh, Overland Airways suggests to me that this is this does not this is not an airline that flies over water. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, how did you possibly suss that one out? <laughs> well, no. In fairness, I do think American Airlines does fly to other countries. <laughs> that is true, but they all like. They're all connected to America somehow. Yes, yes. No, fair enough, fair enough. It's, it's not one of those deals where you drive on a parkway and park in a driveway. <laughs> Indeed. I think the, the, I think the main clue is in the name of the airport. And so I have to think about this is not an airport I've heard of, so it's probably not a major city that I would immediately be called to mind. So give me the name of the airport again. Murtala Muhammad International. Murtala Muhammad International Airport. Suggests to me a Muslim nation because of the name Muhammad, which could be a could be a red herring, but I'm thinking I'm thinking it might be an African nation, perhaps, or something in Southeast Asia. I'm kind of between kind of between two wild guesses here. And so I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and give you you know, I'm I'm gonna give you something. I'm gonna give you something out of left field. I'm gonna go ahead and give you Indonesia. Indonesia, okay. Very as, good. as one of the largest Muslim majority nations in the world, with the name Muhammad in the airport would make sense. Sure, and uh, certainly not made up of a million islands. Uh... Well, they could go. Over... <laughs> I, I like I said, it could be a red herring. There's a million islands, but they go over various lands. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got one I, question correct. Everything else is gravy. <laughs> True that. <laughs> True that. All right. Well, so this airport was named after one of the uh, earlier rulers of this nation. So uh, certainly uh, that, you know, that's commonplace. We, we've got a Ronald Reagan airport. Uh, you know, we've got sure, a John F. Kennedy airport. Sure. You lead the nation, you get the airport named after you. Uh, this is... A Muslim nation, at least in part. It's about Mm -hmm. 50-50. Christians, Mm -hmm. Muslims, hence a lot of conflict there. Uh, This is an airport in uh, the city of Ikeja in Lagos State. It is in Nigeria. Oh, are you kidding me? That was on my list. Seriously, on my short list. Why did I overcomplicate things? I don't know. I don't know what you did. Uh, So a little bit about Overland Airways. Uh, Fun fact. Uh, (laughs) Overland Airways only came to existence in 2012. Uh, it now has a grand total of nine planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, uh, it had nine planes until October of this year. 
when uh, one of them caught fire, uh, one of the pilots was taking it out for a little uh, runway practice and started the engine while it was still on the hangar and uh, it caught fire. Yeah, I, I think you're going to have a bad time if you do that. <laughs> yeah, so um, only eight planes in the fleet. Uh, you know, practice makes perfect. Uh, in this case, uh, mm. a little more practice and they'll end up uh, having to take a boat, which will be difficult since they're yeah, overland. Overland uh, and uh, underperforming, uh, uh, but you don't care because it's all gravy. Uh, you you asked me back the third time. I know I'm not here to dazzle you with my trivia knowledge. Uh, you are here to do exactly what you're doing to educate as well as entertain, or at least entertain. Who cares about the education? We don't I mean, need no education. The name of the show is Beat My Guest. I'm a giver. If the airline was overland, you took it literally. The name of Beat My Guest, you're taking it literally. Look, look, uh, look, look. <laughs> I don't have any Nobel Prizes to hand out. This is the best I can do. Merry Christmas and hee-haw. <laughs> no, it's pronounced Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh dear. Two points are left. Oh I'm dear. giving you these damn two points if you get it right. but Otherwise, knows? I get nothing. Yeah, I nothing- like it. Head back to camp. All right, here is your mashup question. Two points. Are you ready? One point for each half of the mashup. There you go. All right. This band, founded by Chip Davis, plays nothing but Christmas music in an effort to impress the Emmy Award-winning actress responsible for Eleanor Frutt. (laughs) Oh, oh, I got this one. I'm, I'm getting two points. Because I'm pretty sure it's Cameron Mannheim Steamroller. <laughs> Cameron Mannheim Steamroller. Uh, well, yes, uh, the Emmy Award winning actress uh, from The Practice uh, played Eleanor Frutt is indeed Cameron Mannheim. And yes, that damn band that is on the radio nonstop, uh, starting from about uh, two seconds after you put away that Thanksgiving turkey until. Uh, Christmas comes, and even a week after that, Mannheim Steamroller, you are correct. Cameron, my name Steamroller. You knew you had it two points. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, there are no Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but they'll do. Uh, so two points for you. Well done. We're going to add those two points to the five you had coming into the round, which gives you seven. Lucky seven as All we right. head into halftime. Seven yes, out of 50! Only 36. Don't sell yourself short. (laughs) Right, right. All right. Your next category is math. (laughs) Well, we've already failed that one. Uh, Here's how Heft I works, Jess. You know how it works, but in case people are new, uh, it is the only partial credit question of the game. I'm going to read you the question. After I read the question, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about your answers while we pause for those non-existent sponsors out there. Ooh, ooh, maybe I'll find a sponsor under the tree. You might find a Nobel Prize. Well, I'm not giving it back, Malala. It's mine. You lose it. It's finders keepers. Anyway, here's your halftime question. Elton John. You familiar with Mr. John? Sort of. Okay. Elton John has started uh, what he says will be his farewell tour, uh, a full 50 years after his first concert way back in 1968. According to a little website called setlist.com, Elton John has performed nine songs over 1,500 times while touring over the course of his entire career. Okay. 
for two points each, I would like you to name for me any five of those nine songs. Take a little bit of time to think about your answers, and we'll be back to hear what Jess has to say after the break. Are you beating my guess? Or is my guess beating you? Tell us all about it on Twitter or Gmail at BMGPod. If you like what you're hearing, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron at patrons.podbean.com slash beatmyguest. And now back to me for the second half of this week's episode. And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Jessica Lee. So when we last left Jess, she was sitting on seven points working on the following halftime bonus question. Uh, Elton John, he has started what he says will be his farewell tour. It's a full 50 years after his first concert way back in 1968. According to setlist.com, Elton John has performed nine songs over 1,500 times while touring over the course of his lengthy career. For two points each, I have asked Jess to name for me any five of those nine songs. Jess, whenever you're ready, fill me in on your Elton John discography. Well... Elton John is someone I've seen in concert twice, although not in anything resembling anything recent, and certainly not in 1968, many years before I was born. That makes I it difficult, yeah. It does make it a little difficult. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm kind of down, I'm between a couple of songs here. I have a, I have a long list, and I'm kind of trying to extrapolate. I think I'm going to get some points here. I'm not going to get totally shut out on this one. Just because, just because I have at least a cursory knowledge of the man's back catalog, okay, um, plant your flag. <laughs> I'm planting my flag. Uh, I'm. I know who Elton John is. <laughs> Half the battle. <laughs> Half the battle. Um, no, I, I have actually. I was at one point a pretty big fan. Um, so I can name some of his biggest hits. And thinking about some of the ones that he didn't do in later years because they were too technically difficult for him to sing is where I'm at now, because there's a couple where I feel like, Oh, he probably did that one a lot. And I'm like, wait, no, he didn't do that one a lot because it was very difficult to sing. And he was moving everything down several steps by the time I saw him 20 years ago. So that should give you some idea. So I'm going to start with don't let the sun go down on me. And I will give you candle in the wind, your song, Daniel, and can you feel the love tonight? Are you asking me if I can feel the love tonight, or is that your answer? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> either or, my friend. Either or. Because I'm not feeling the love. No, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm uh, not feeling the love from your questions, so. Yeah, exactly. All right, very good. Uh, I will tell you, uh, I'm going to go over the uh, songs from 9 to 1 in terms of his frequency, but uh, I don't think you were shut out. Uh, let's see what this list says here. So coming in at number 9, a song he has sung in concert 1,517 times. Sounds like something that he would probably kick off a show with. Uh, the bitch is back. Ah, nice. Uh, then I'm sure uh, he started singing this song uh, a little bit more frequently uh, after Almost Famous uh, was in the movie theaters. Oh, yes. it got a big resurgence. 1,608 times for Tony Danza. Ah, yes. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. Hey, yo, hey, yo, Elton. Tiny Dancer, yes, for those of you out there who don't know what I'm talking about. You youngins. Uh, <laughs> 1,652 times. 
This is a lovely song about a particular uh, day of the week and the activity done on that day. Saturday nights, all right for fighting. Another good one. Uh, 1698. Philadelphia Freedom. I saw him in Philadelphia, so that was on my short list. Did he play that one? I would First, hope. <laughs> yeah, no, he did that right after Billy Joel did El- did Allentown, and Billy Joel got a, a more of a standing ovation. So make of that what you will. Well, I'm I'm a New Yorker, so I'm uh, contractually obligated to uh, like Billy Joel. It's just you know, it's, you know, it's like New Jersey, they get the Bon Jovi, and I get the Billy Joel. No, I mean, nobody hates Billy Joel. Uh, well, maybe Christy Brinkley. I don't know. I, I, they didn't end very well. <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, she's not feeling the love tonight. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, all right. Uh, we got five left on this list. At 1723, I guess that's why they call it the blues. I guess. Laughing like children. Laughing like children. That was, that was on my short list as well. Very good. Uh, at number four on the list, 1,742 times. Uh, whether George Michael is there or not, Elton does love to sing, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Uh, two points for you. Well done. All right. Good. At number three, 1,815 times. Ding. 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 Benny and the Jets. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, at eighteen hundred and fifty-four times at number two, I think it's going to be a long, long time before you uh, come up uh, with Rocket Man. Rocket Man. All right. You. Oh, that's definitely right. Never mind. Uh, and at number one, nineteen hundred sixty-one times he sung this more than any other song. Song is in the title. It's your song. Ah, yes. Two more points for you. Well done. We're going to add those four points to the seven you had coming into halftime, which leaves you with 11 double digits as we exit the halftime. Excellent. Just for the record, uh, Daniel uh, was just shy of 1,500 and number 10 on the list. Uh, a little bit lower than that was Candle in the Wind. Uh, I don't recall uh, where Can You Feel the Love Tonight was, but I think because it was such a, a later release, it's it's a little bit low down on the list. Well, I didn't know. He might have doubled down on some of the later songs after his voice started to go. Very true. Very true. Can you get me a lozenge tonight? <laughs> Bernie, where's my uh, sleeper sofa? I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, again, giddy. Uh, 11 points. We're going to move on to round three. Point values are going to stay the same, Jess. Two, four, six, and eight. However, those questions, those categories, they're going to be a changing. And here's what they're going to be a changing to. We're going to kick things off with sports, followed up with a music, move along to Who Done It, and we're going to wrap up round three with movies. Sports is up first. Two, four, six, or eight. Uh, two points for sports, please. Two points for sports. Here is your two point sports question. This five-time NBA All-Star, currently playing for Oklahoma City, achieved some off-the-court notoriety in 2014 when he was accused of getting a stripper pregnant and allegedly offering her $1 million to, you know, take care of it. I have no idea. So let's just move on. (laughs) Not even going to come up with a guess at all. I don't want to accuse anybody... Of doing anything they haven't done. Okay. 
fair. I said allegedly. I said allegedly. Yeah, it's in yeah, the question. Yeah. I don't want to start any rumors, AJ. Okay, fair enough. You know how rumors get started. Started by the jealous people. They get mad seeing something they had that somebody else is holding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No idea. Yeah. Mm. Anywho. All right. She's going to pass. This player, he uh, says he never did that. He did get a stripper pregnant, however. Um, she did have the child. Uh, they uh, settled on some custody issues. They separated, went their separate ways, got back together. They now have a second child together. Uh, as far as I know, they're still at least on speaking terms. Because, uh, you know, speaking's how you get pregnant. But uh, <laughs> this is five-time all-star Paul George. I see what you're doing to me now, AJ. See, because we had Elton John in the halftime. And this is Paul George. If you don't know what we're talking about, folks, go back and listen to her previous episodes. This is the only reason you're asking me back is so you can continue to find ways to do this. No, it's just the only reason I write these questions when you're on. (laughs) Look at it this way. You're the only guest who gets a special tailored set. That's true. (laughs) partially, Partially so. You didn't drop it on me in the beginning. Exactly. I thought perhaps it might have uh, slipped your mind there had you known there was a Paul George. But music there's... is up next. All right. Music is up next. <laughs> Are you ready? Four, six, or eight? Eight, please. Eight, please. Don't answer too quickly. Okay. Whose controversial album from the 1960s contained songs entitled Shimmy Like My Sister Kate, Some Other Guy, and I'm Blue? Ultimately resulting in a New York court case. Hmm. 1960s album. Ultimately resulting in a court case. It was controversial. Indeed. The question is, like, controversial how? And I don't know that I know any of these songs. So name me the songs again. Shibby Like My Sister Kate, Some Other Guy, I'm Blue. No, these don't ring a bell. The person got into a court case because of the album. Correct. It wasn't like they released an album and then were in a court case unrelated to things that happened on the album. The case related to the album. Okay. Um, I do not know the answer to this one. So I am going to take a stab in the dark. I'm going to say Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry is your answer. Now, Jess, the last two times we went down this rodeo. Yeah, we had the Beatles. But it wasn't a Beatle. We said John. John. And then we would say Paul. Paul. And then we would say George. And what would be the answer to the next question? Would have been Ringo. Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr is not the answer to this question. Well, duh. I know Ringo's not the answer to the question. That was No, it's some other guy whose controversial album sold a lot of pre-order copies around Christmas time because people uh, in the United States saw that it was coming out, were very, very excited about this. And they all ran out to buy this album only to accuse the uh, record company of fraud because it Mm. wasn't what they expected. They had not heard of these songs either, Mm -hmm. but they were expecting a different bunch of songs on an album entitled Best of the Beatles, released by one Pete Best. Oh, damn it. I I lost the thread for a second there. <laughs> yeah, Pete Best released an album called Best of the Beatles, referring to himself, not a greatest sure. hits album. Sure, uh, sure, sure, sure. And he ended up winning the case because he wasn't lying. Sure. He was Best of the Beatles. All right. Hi, 
There's a reason you hadn't heard of any of those songs, though. Yeah, you're right. I, I should have, and I should have gone back to, I didn't know how far you were taking me down the Beatles rabbit hole again, because we already uh, got John, Paul, and George. And uh, rule of three. Rule, yeah. of, rule of three. That is sure. now okay. our, our, our third time through. I, I hereby solemnly swear that at the end of season four, should you deign to, to accept my invitation, there will not be a string of John, Paul, George, and Ringo. No, but there's probably going to be like a Mick and a Keith and a Ron. I, I, I make no promises on that regard. <laughs> I'm just saying we have uh, retired, much like Elton John, because we know that's definitely going to be his, his last tour. All right, Who Done It is up next. You have a four and you have a six. How much for Who Done It? Uh, four. Four points. Uh, good luck. Here is your Who Done It question. The Beatles are done. The string is over. Okay. After major roles as Buzz Gunderson on Teen Angel and Todd Mahaffey on Sister Kate, his career finally took mm. off when he was cast as a 15-year-old high school sophomore despite being 21 years old in real life. Who done it? Huh. Well, that was a show I watched. I actually watched both of those shows back in the day. Teen Angel and Sister Kate. Yes, but I'm trying to think of who was in those. And Sister Kate is the only through line, so that's not helpful. And so we're looking at late 80s here. Late 80s slash early 90s for shows about 15-year-old high school sophomores that made somebody famous. I'm trying to think of, like, this was, this was definitely my wheelhouse. This was my, this was my era. So I'm trying to think about what did I watch back then. Sure. And who would have been very, very famous for being that age? Okay, here's my guess. And I might be a little bit off, but I want to say it's Jason Priestley. You want to say it's Jason Priestley? I'm going to go ahead and say it's Jason Priestley. I don't think that's right, but I think it's a good guess. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Sister Kate uh, was a show about... A nun that took in orphans. A nun that took in orphans. So I hope that the, perhaps that nun was in your head there, uh, maybe leaned you towards the priesthood, perhaps, which is why you said Jason Priestley. I don't know why you would say Jason Priestley, except that it's the right answer. Yes. 90210 was indeed his yep. role after Sister Kate. Uh, he was 21 years old, uh, playing a 15-year-old, soon-to-be 16-year-old, one month in, because we know when their birthday was kind of in October based I, on future seasons and blah, blah, blah. I guess. Well, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> fun fact. I'm looking at my wall right now. And on my wall is a picture of the venue where Jason Priestley got married because well. it's a photo of my wedding. And I didn't marry Jason Priestley, but I got married in the same place he did. <laughs> no, your name's not Naomi. <laughs> no. Why do I know that? But he got married in the same place I did. And that's awesome. not why I got married there, but. <laughs> yeah. Nevertheless, I remember him being on Sister Kate and then being famous on 90210. And it was one of those things where I didn't really actually watch 90210, but I resented that somebody from a show I liked became more famous and then everybody liked him. Kind of like when I used to watch Anderson Cooper on the overnight news and then he became super famous. Yeah, well, and there were other reasons why it would never have worked out, but yeah. Well, <laughs> I wasn't tr I wasn't trying for anything. I just resented that everybody thought he was cool when I thought he was cool first. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. I always felt that way about Jenna Vanoy because I just love a girl with umlauts. But uh... <laughs> what did you watch her in before Blossom? I don't know. <laughs> I just like saying I love a girl with umlauts. Well, good job. Four points for you. All right. Uh, so far, we have not had a blanked round. Well done. Still one more question in round three. Uh, it is going to be worth six points. It is movies. Are you ready? Sure. Boys Town was a 1938 film starring Spencer Tracy as a Nebraska man of the cloth. What was the name of the real life priest that Tracy portrayed? Oh, 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 my God. I do know this because it's like a really famous priest. And it's a name that I've seen and you, you just call him like father something. Like Father Flanagan or something like that. We'll go with that. Father Flanagan. Father Flanagan is the answer. Well, you know, the previous question, well, Jason Priestley, which is a real-life priest. It was also 90210, so obviously we're going to follow that, too. And it's uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu. No, I'm just kidding. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Horribly this- miscast as someone who hadn't even been born yet. <laughs> uh, this is a real-life person who uh, ran an actual orphanage slash uh, juvenile delinquent center in mm-hmm. Omaha, Nebraska, called yeah. Boys Town. They they fictionalized it a little bit, uh, and Spencer Tracy ended up winning the Academy Award for this. Uh, here's your fun fact: after he accepted the award and had nice things to say about the person he was portraying, uh, MGM Studios said, "And Spencer's gonna give him the Oscar." And Spencer said, <laughs> "I never said that. What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> And so it is one of the few times that the uh, Academy has actually recreated an Oscar, made a second Oscar for Spencer Tracy, and handed it to Father Edward J. Flanagan. Six points for you. (laughs) I'm way more excited about those six points than I really have any right to be. Oh, well, well, well done. Well remembered. Uh, If you're going to pull, that's when you're going to pull it. Absolutely. So, 10 points in that round. We're going to add that to the 11 points you had coming into the round, which means you have 21 as we head into round four, which, as you know, Jess, I don't have to tell you, our highest scoring round of the game. The point values will increase to three, five, seven, and nine. The categories are as follows. We're going to kick things off with That Happened. Move along to Audio Hodgepodge, which admittedly bit of lifestyle. is a bit of a lifestyle. Uh, then we're going to move things along to Literature, and we are going to wrap things up with television but that happened has to happen first so three five seven or nine uh let's go with seven points on that happened okay seven points on that happened our current event slash weird news category good luck and here we go just a little while back jess in november of 2018 a man attempting to get a marriage license in washington dc was denied by both the clerk who was serving him and the supervisor, because as they said, your ID says you're not American. Where was this man from? I heard a story recently about someone being from New Mexico and being told they were not American. I think this was the story. Okay, very good. New Mexico is your answer. Uh, This man, as it turns out, uh, had in his wallet at home, he had not brought it with him. He had ID proving that he was actually a member of Choctaw Nation. And had he presented that, they would have said, yeah, yeah, that's that's American. But the state driver's license that he brought from New Mexico did not satisfy these people who said, that's not in America, that's... 
That's Mexico. in Mexico. What are we teaching people in this country? Uh, I weep for the education of our children. I really do. Seven points, though. You got it right. You heard. You knew that happened. I did. Seven points happened. Well that done. That happened. Three in a row, Jess. We are, are cruising here. Let us keep the ball rolling as we move along to audio. Hodgepodge, here's how this is going to work. I am going to ask you a question. When I am done asking you the question, I'm going to play a little clip for you. Hopefully, when you're done listening to the clip, you will be able to come up with the correct answer to the question. Before I ask that question, though, three, five, or nine. Well, I don't have a lot of faith in your audio hodgepodge, so I'm going to give it three. Three points for audio hodgepodge. All right. Here is your question. Jess, I'd like you to listen to this clip. And quite simply, all I need for you to do is tell me the name of the game show from which it comes. Okay. If this turns out to be my own game show appearance. No, 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 no. I'm quitting. I'm quitting this podcast. (laughs) Line up right here in front of the hat. Now, what we're going to have you do is kick these hats over the goalpost. Now, if you all kick your hats over the goalpost, you all receive a very nice prize. But if just one of you does not kick her hat over the goalpost, then none of you receive a prize. Is that understood? Yes. All right, take your shoes off, will you please? All of you take your shoes off. Now, uh, bring out the helmets. We want them protected. Put some helmets on them. And, uh, you know, Mrs. Balot, you, you have a striking resemblance to Bronco Nagurski. You really do. <laughs> and now we're going to have each of you kick these hats. Oh, wait, wait. I have to put something under one of these hats. Ed, where's the brick? The brick. Here we go. All right. Turn your backs. Turn your backs. Okay. I didn't need to listen to that because I'm pretty sure I know where you're going with this. <laughs> I, as I press play, I'm like, wait a minute. The answer to the last question was New Mexico. I don't even have to listen to this if it's a game show, because I'm pretty sure your answer is truth or consequences. Is this a pity round, AJ? There is there is no, no pity here at all. No pity whatsoever. I have no pity. Television without pity. That clip, did you happen to recognize who was in that clip, when the announcer was in that one? Um, it's It's a really familiar voice. That was the very first uh, television uh, hosting appearance by uh, one Mr. Bob Barker. That's kind of what I thought. I uh, had edited this clip. Usually I don't edit the clips. I edited this a little bit for uh, sheer levels of misogyny that you would not believe. In oh, this yes. I would believe it. Yeah. He brings out these four uh, women from the audience uh, because they are the most middle-aged of the women in the audience. <laughs> Not sure how they made the determination. Uh, he then uh, brings them up to uh, kick this, uh, kick these hats over the uh, the field goal uh, crossbar there, and uh, he tells them to take off their shoes. And then he comments that one woman has really enormous feet, but they're quite beautiful. Uh, and how he he would love to uh, get with the feet some way, oh. <laughs> shape, or form. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, as, as I did leave in, he insults the woman saying she looks like Bronco Nagurski, who was not an attractive football player. It, yeah, it's pretty bad there. And, of course, for our entertainment, he uh, tells them all that he is putting a brick under one of the hats. He shows them the brick. It is a real brick. They turn around. And, of course, he does not put the brick under any of the hats. But they think there's a brick under one of the hats. And that's where the hilarity of mental anguish and torment ensues, knowing that they have to kick the hat over the bar or none of them will win the money <sighs> those would be the consequences if so they, maybe they uh, should have told the truth <laughs> they should have told the truth yeah but what is the truth jess you've been dynamite so far here is your literature question do you want it to be worth five or do you want it to be worth nine ah uh, five five points good luck and here we go a road in peekskill new york 
is said to be the inspiration for a specific detail from what children's novel illustrated by W. W. Denslow? You don't even want to know how many times I I had all of the Oz books as a child that I had this encyclopedia that I basically memorized of weird Oz facts. So this is in my wheelhouse. This is definitely you say you say Denslow. I'm like Oz, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. So, yeah, there is a uh, road in Peekskill, New York, where uh, L. Frank Baum went to military school. Uh, it had yellow bricks. He always remembered it. And so when he was writing this book many years later, he uh, threw in that yellow brick road, which is also the name of Elton John's farewell tour, Farewell Yellow Brick Road. So it all ties together. Yeah, but he probably has someone else singing the chorus of that one because five. <laughs> uh, five points for you. Excellent job. Hey, all of you out there who thought you were going to beat this guest at halftime going, ha, 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 who's laughing now? Who's laughing now? Still them, AJ. Yeah, probably. Uh, I hope they're laughing with us and not at us. One question left, Jess. It is the television question. It is going to be worth nine points. Are you ready? Sure. What sitcom's pilot episode featured a storyline where a tomboy is verbally abused by her classmates who essentially are shaming her for potentially being a lesbian. Oh, dear. This is a sitcom? This is a sitcom. Where a tomboy is shamed for being a lesbian. Pilot episode, trying to make a real good first impression. Wow. I'm trying to think of sitcoms where you'd even talk about that. Because there was the there was the phase where you never, you pretended it didn't exist. And then there was a point where you could make fun of it, of gay people, and it was okay somehow. And now it's not okay anymore, which is great. There was a character who was a tomboy in the sitcom Step by Step. but And that was about the era where you could make fun of people for being a lesbian. That's kind of on my short list here. I might go with that if I can think of something else. But I'm trying to think back on where would they play that for laughs? Might not even be the main character. I don't even know. I'm not going to come up with anything better than Step by Step, and I already didn't get shut out, so we'll go with that. All right, so Step by Step is your answer. So uh, this sitcom, in fairness, uh, like you said, there was a time when you didn't even bring it up. Then there was a time when, wrong as it was, it was at least in the culture that you could at least make fun of it, need I say, uh, Three's Company. Uh, Mm. You know, it was there. One good, but at least the characters existed, so they weren't ignoring the fact that there were gay people in the world. So I guess that was progress. In fairness to this show, the laughs didn't come from this portion of the storyline. They did treat it seriously. They were trying to show that the uh, lead character was very sympathetic, wise, and able to counsel both the tomboy and saying how there's nothing to be ashamed of if that's what you feel, even if it isn't what you feel, don't be afraid of what you feel. And at the same time, tell the classmates, hey, knock it off. This is wrong. She's a person regardless. So they did handle it well, but, it, you know, the 80s, not exactly the storyline I would have thought would have been the way to kick off a show. Uh, Survivor contestant Lisa Welchel as Blair. Facts of life was harassing tomboy Cindy, who uh, whose character uh, didn't... Uh, they just I don't think they uh, wanted to keep that character around after the first few episodes of 
of these storylines where she admitted to, you know, being a little too touchy feely with the girls and really just wanting to play baseball and football and not understanding Jesus. what dresses were, uh, you know, so they brought Joe on and that was so much better. <laughs> well, see, that's where you, that's where he threw me off because I knew that Joe was a second season addition after they wrote out Molly Ringwald and all those other people. So I yes. didn't think it was facts of life. But it was, that was the pilot episode of Facts of Life. Facts of Life is the answer. I cannot give you the points, but uh, yeah. hey, you've got your share of points lately. So I, no, I yeah, no big loss there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And may I add, yeah. Oh, dear. You take the good. You take the bad. You take the offensive. And there you have the pilot of Facts of Life. Of Facts of Life, 15 points in that round out of Apostle 24. Excellent job. We're going to add those to the 21 you had coming into the round, which gives you an amazingly healthy 36 points as we enter the confidence question. Here's how it works, Jess. It is your last chance to try to prove your final score. Only one question is before you. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category, and you must, must, wager between one and 10 points. Get it right? I will happily add it to your score. But, Jess, if you get it wrong... Not only will you lose those precious points, but I'm going to make you sit down and watch that pilot episode of Facts of Life and episode two and three as well, because they're just as fun. Oh, boy. Uh, how confident are you in a category that I am calling The Hatch? <laughs> well, I, I think you want me to wager six points. I don't want you to do anything, but... Uh, I, I wouldn't be upset if you wagered six points. <laughs> I'm, I'm wagering six points because if I get it right, I get a loss number. And mathematically, it's the only way I can. This is true. Your score is that high uh, that this is the only number that will work. Six points. Good luck. Here is your confidence question. Category of the hatch. In 1979, Walter Cronkite was one of many newsmen who sent a television crew to California in order to cover an event billed as the Grand Hatching, what were cameras hoping to get footage of as it emerged from its egg? Hmm. I'm not 100% sure of this one, but I can, I can kind of ballpark it based on what sorts of wildlife-related things were happening around that time. And my guess is going to be the California condor. The California condor is your answer, a uh, species of bird that was quite, quite endangered. And uh, any time that uh, naturalists were able to uh, discover a breeding ground, a nest with an egg in it, people flipped the heck out. They still probably do to this day because it's, uh, you know, conservation and uh, climate change, which is real, certainly uh, play a part. But they don't, though, because they were so successful. It's not a big deal anymore. This is true. This is true. Well, this was a big deal uh, in 1979. California was the location of the Grand Hatching, not just anywhere in California, uh, but San Diego, California, to be specific. And uh, this was the debut of a baseball fixture for many years to come after that. A man by the name of Ted Giannoulis dressed up in a little mascot suit. The San Diego chicken. They wheeled out an enormous styrofoam egg onto the field. The news media went absolutely bananas and bonkers covering it live as if this were something important. Uh, I'm not going to put poo its importance because, after all, I would not have been Mr. Met had there not been a San Diego chicken, and that was a very important part of my life. Uh, so even though I have met Ted Giannoulis, do not like him uh, on a personal level, 
I totally respect his work as a mascot. And the San Diego chicken was the answer to our confidence question here today. Wow. You know, after I pulled Pink Lady and Jeff, I think I, I'm still riding that hubris. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, you know, I never yeah, will. <laughs> you know, and that that's where the pink eye came from. <laughs> George was hanging out with the Pink Lady and Jeff. I hope not. <laughs> I cannot give you the points. I have to take them away, Jess. But nonetheless, you finished today's game with 30 points. An excellent job. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say before I let you go? Uh, actually, not let you go. Make you go. <laughs> I, can't I stay just a little bit longer and humiliate myself? <laughs> humiliate myself a little further. I can't reach those notes. Elton, who, who do you have sing those high parts? I got... He gets. Yeah, I, I don't know who he's gonna get. He doesn't have George Michael to kick around anymore. <laughs> Uh, indeed. Well, Jess, thank you so much for being here. It, as always, as usual, a pleasure. Uh, I, I'll see you again in, in a season's worth of episodes, shall we? Sounds great. I'll look okay. forward to it. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back soon with season four of Beat My Guest. Until then, take care, and bye-bye. Did you beat our guest, or did our guest beat you? Tell us all about it on Twitter, at BMGPod, or email us, bmgpod at gmail.com. Also, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you liked what you heard, spread the word. This has absolutely not been a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production.